the Sunshine State. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. That's not his real name The toughest highway cop from California to Maine He hides back in the bushes with the latest radar Take your picture, then he'll catch you in his modified car His heart's hard as concrete and his blood is ice cold He's Dudley Do-Right of the Highway Patrol Pull up behind you in that fast modified car and walk up to you. Put both thumbs over that black hand tool leather pistol belt and look down at you from behind them cool hand loot men with no eyes, sunglasses, and say, Clock G Blackguard 57 and half miles higher. Yeah, then. Guess you know uh, you in a heap of trouble, don't you, boy? <laughs> he rides a big old Harley. Mustang GT and a Bell helicopter hidden in the pine trees. If he catches you for speeding, it's ten years to life. And if you protest, it takes your firstborn child, your house, and your wife. Well, let me see your license there, boy. You do have a license, don't you, boy? You want to just uh, take it out of that there wallet from me, boy? Yeah. Well, look at you. What have we here? For a show, had to pedal to the metal and a long way to go. Talking on the CB, had my fuzz buster round. There was not a soul in sight, so I kept moving along. Then I looked in my mirror, and Lord bless my soul, that was Dudley to right of the Highway Patrol. Well, look at what we got here, Mr. Raymond Stevenson. Oh, Ahab, the Arab is on self. You want an autograph? Huh? Not exactly, son. My wife, Ethel, uh, you do remember Ethel, don't you, boy? That shameless husband. Yeah, she was saying to me the other night, she said, Bubba, that's right, name's Bubba. And I just happen to be the lustrous potentate of this here local shrine temple. <laughs> she said, Bubba, why you suppose it is that that Raymond Stevenson treats us ugly on all his phonograph records? And I said, I don't know. And I, I turned to my brother, Clyde, and his wife, uh, Sister Bertha, and they say they didn't know neither. 
About that time, my nephew Harv Newland come in. I said, Harv, have you heard that Raymond Stevenson's latest meaning on the phonograph record? He looked up at me and said, yeah, I did. And Uncle Bubble, how you suppose it is that that Raymond Stevenson knew I had a steeple on my barber shop? Well, I guess you just better come along with me, boy. Old Deputy Carr has got a bone or two. He'd like to pick with you his own self. <laughs> Guess everything ain't so dad burn beautiful right now, is it, huh? <laughs> well, they call him Dudley Do-Right, but that's not his real name. The toughest highway cop from California to Maine. He hides back in the bushes with the latest red dot. He'll take your picture, then he'll catch you in his modified car. His heart's hard as concrete, and his blood is ice cold. It's really him. All things come to ye who wait. Quiet, numbskulls, I'm broadcasting. Hi folks, this is the Big Swag, and you're listening to my main man, Robert, on Nostalgic Radio on Cars. And if you turn off the radio while he's on, I swear I'll come to your house, steal all your food, and take your animals. You better listen to him or I'll come find you. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned into Nostalgic Video and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Running your computers and Google, Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us, and if you missed any of our past 616, 17, some odd shows, you can go to NostalgicRadioandCars.com, and you can hear them all. Good afternoon, Bobby. Hello. I'm going to confirm that for you, uh... Okay. Here in a second. Okay. Well, I'm close. I know that. I know that. Because we've been at this for 12 years, so it should be at least 12 times 50... Mm, 619. 619. Okay. Tonight, 619? Well, tonight will be 620. Tonight will be 620. Okay. Anyway, all right. We got an exciting show for you this evening. We have a very, 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 very special guest. Now, there was a clue. There was a clue beginning of the show about a four minute long clue about a four minute long clue so uh and it wasn't dudley do right but it, in fact i think there was a cartoon no was it dashley dan i don't remember back in, there was a dudley do right yeah the canadian mountie and uh uh i can't think of the little girl's name that was in there they used to always get tied to the uh railroad track by um can't remember his name either it might have been Dash. I'm not sure. Anyway, um, so, yeah, we have a very special guest. Okay, so um, I'm going to tell some stories. Well, but first. But first? Oh, but first. Go ahead. Un- unravel our... Uh, I have to make a little of this Oh, yeah, here. yeah. Well, we have because a little announcement. Because the shack is back. A, the shack is back. Yeah, as in the rib shack. Beach. No, bar- barbecue. And they have now relocated from sunny downtown Largo on East Bay or West Bay Drive. 426. Now they're over on uh, Clearwater. No, they're on uh, Clearwater Street. 1300. Let me go get the poster. Hang on. Go get the poster. Go get the poster. We'll straighten you out. But anyway, they had. They, I happened to be driving by. I was just diddy bopping by on my way to the studio. And I was miles down the road and I caught this wonderful scent of barbecue food. So. I knew I was heading in the right direction. And you just happened to be in the neighborhood of 1850 Drew Street. That's it, 1850 Drew Street. And uh, Robert was out there 
and uh, with his big barbecue, his tag-along barbecue, and he had his little tent there, and there was, and this was at almost six o'clock when I came whipping by there, but a little after six actually, and there was a line, and he was running on a barbecue. So they're doing, they're usually there, they're opening up, they're relocating, but they're doing a uh, Saturday Sunday thing all day outside. But now they're experimenting with Tuesdays to see how that works. Well, evidently it worked really, really well because they were packed and they had so much business that they ran out of food. That's a good sign when you run out of food. That's a very good sign. So you may, you in fact you will, catch the Nostalgic Radio and Cars van at 1850 Drew Street every single Tuesday. Yeah. Well, not and, you, va- and, and, and we expect the listeners to be there, too. Yes. And be sure and mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, okay, because you might get a free drink. And then we'll be we'll be ready to. We may look into a live remote when they open. Yes, it. yes. Yeah, when they get well, in the air that's on Tuesdays. Yeah, that's right. That works out beautifully. Or, or you'll have to report live there or something. Okay. <laughs> so, but yes, uh, still they're using a catering phone number right now seven two seven four hundred ninety one hundred. Um, I believe that's Corey's. Uh, so. Uh, that's the number to call them, but uh, 1850 Drew Street, 1850 Drew Street. The smoker sits out there all week, so you know you're in the right place, whether you're there or not. Yes, and if you're uh, eastbound, it's on your left side. If you're westbound, it's on your right side. Between Keene and Hercules. Between Keene and Hercules, absolutely. Okay, now, story time. So our our guest tonight is a well-known, legendary um, musician slash songwriter slash comedian. And he did a song back in the, in, and I won't go in all the history, but one in particular was, ni- we, I, we were in high school, and this is 1973, 74. And my buddy Rock, if Rock's listening, uh, is from Owensboro, Kentucky. Okay, now I'm from out west. Okay, so you know how we have our California drawl? No, I'm just kidding. We, 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 we talk kind of like we do everywhere. But in the south, and I love the south, don't get me wrong, I really do. Um, they got the Southern Drawl, and I really like that. I think it's cool, and especially, you know, when when women have it, because it's just cute. <laughs> but at any rate, so uh, in this song, the, the song came out in 1970, late 3, 74, I'm going to say 74 probably. It was called The Streak. And it's an interesting song, but in that, there's there's one, there's like a, you know, like a repetitive piece of dialogue in there where, the, where he goes, yeah, did. Well, Rock was from Owensboro, Kentucky, and he has a very, very southern drawl, Kentucky drawl, and uh, he used to jack with me on that one all the time. Yeah, did. So now that here it is. This is 1974, and here we are, almost God, fifty some odd years later, close to that, and I never got it out of my head. Yeah, I did. I didn't. But anyway, so our guests will be on a little bit. We'll talk about that. But let me go ahead and refresh you guys on what I did over the weekend. Mecham, we had John Kramer on from last week. And, of course, we also had um, um, Harry Hurst on. And Harry and I talked a little bit after the show. And he's got some fascinating stuff, some photography of some of the great races back in the day. And, yes, the glory days of racing. That's his website and or his Facebook page. And, really, you know, those of us that are – and the name of this show is Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's Nostalgic Radio and Cars for a reason. I also Nostalgic Cars and Radios, as some people say. Yeah, because we're well, nostalgic – I mean, I used to be Nostalgic Auto because I was in the vintage – I was in the wrecking yard business, and I had salvage cars and mostly vintage. But nonetheless, so it's Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And it's kind of like, like one guy said, well, you kind of like that old-timey radio thing. 
And uh, said, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 we need to find that. Uh, remember that ah, one clip from old-timey old radio? <laughs> yeah, 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 talking a can. We haven't done that in a long time. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, so anyway, so I went to Meekums. Or no, uh, so Harry and I were talking, and, and he's got, and I've, and I've kind of shared some of his his uh, photography on there, which is pretty cool. But back to Meekums. So I went to Meekums. And one of the first cars I saw when I walked in, it was a 1959 Chevrolet Impala. Now, I remember that car at an auction a few years ago, and it eh, pushed maybe buck fifty or something like that. But I will say the guy that owns this car, who I happen to know, it is an outstanding, probably a absolute flawless restoration. That car brought, that car hammered over 300000 Over 300000 for a 59 Chevy Impala. Now, I had a 348 automatic, had some nice options. Beautiful car. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I defy you to find a flaw with that car. It was That was perfect. But some of the cars over there at Meekums were bringing absolutely phenomenal numbers. In fact, I was talking to some of the dealers, um, and they were saying, you know, we brought a lot of cars over here, and uh, the cars that we thought wouldn't bring a lot of money brought ridiculous money. The cars that we thought would bring a lot of money, some did, some didn't. But we bought a lot of cars, and we sold a few cars. So for the most part, everybody was pretty happy. And as the saying goes, and the bid goes on, you know, a lot of these cars, if they don't necessarily hammer on the block, there's there's what they call, um, you know, after uh, post sales. And so you can always go in there, and a lot of times you can cut a deal, because generally when people take a car to an auction, it's there to sell. So it's not like they really want to come home with it, you know, because they have a lot of expense involved in it. They may have already bought something, and they don't have a place to put it anymore. So very often you get a, a, a really, really, really good deal. And uh, so... Meekums, I thought, and and this was in the convention center in Orlando. Was it is it uh, North Cent North 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 Concourse of the Orange County Convention Center? Yeah, and that's where they used to have the PRI show, the uh, um, um, performance racing industry, and uh, they used up every bit of it. Now they had fifteen hundred cars, and they still had a little bit of room. But I would wager to say that if they moved a few walls, they could have three thousand cars in there easy. And the beauty of it was easy to get to right off the interstate. Uh, parking was very, very good, and air conditioning inside, and everything was clean. Second largest convention center in the United States. After Las Vegas, Probably right? neck and neck, I believe, number one award-winning really? in the United States. Well, I'll tell you what. They did a—it was a fantastic job. And um, so my hat's off to the guys at uh, Meekums, and I hope they—you know, nothing wrong with Kissimmee out there, but you are out— ways and you do have the tents and and sometimes that can be an issue particularly weather permitting but uh this was done very very nicely it so sunny and 75 all the time all the time yep and the same breeze and uh so at any rate all right so that was that uh bobby why don't you go ahead and fire up i don't know well, well we no i have to talk find for a few. some yeah you need to talk i need to talk another couple minutes okay so um. What, oh, yeah. The other thing I'm working on too is I'm working on a potential appraisal, which you know I do, and buy and sell some cars and parts and a few things like that. But uh, I'm working on a very interesting car right now, um, or not car, vehicle. And I don't know if I mentioned it last week or not, or the week before, but um, in Tampa, back at the turn of the century, uh, a family from Italia. Uh, from Italy moved over here, and they were known as, I believe, the Flying Zucchinis. Okay, now my good friend IG, IG, is uh, a distant cousin. Well, no, he's a, a, a next of kin cousin, kind of, next of kin, 
Yeah, I did. I mean, anyway, I ain't going to get that out of my head tonight. Yeah, You're I did. just no country boy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, did you find that uh, talking to Kane? No, Still looking. I have to. Okay. Well, I any, want the original, the long one. The, oh, okay. The, the whole scene. The whole scene. All right. With the devil and everything? Anyway, um, yes. so, uh, uh, damn, my mind just went blank. What was I talking about now? Zucchinis flying Oh, they're flying zucchinis. Okay, so they were basically circus, uh, trapeze artists and things. And one of the things that they, the family, uh, I'm going to say probably invented was, you know, everybody remembers the days when people would shoot out of cannons and stuff. Okay, well, they would get in these cannons and they would go, and they'd fly over buildings. Now... I'm going to be doing the appraisal on probably one of those car, one of those vehicles, and this particular one happens to be the cannon that shot two people out of there. Now, you know, I think I talked a little bit about this before, but I'm not so sure, and I consider myself kind of a, you know, kind of an outdoorsy tough kind of guy, you know, to have my share of, you know, falls, spills, fights, all that good stuff, you know, we all do when we're kids. And, uh... But, you know, and, and, and riding dirt bikes and falling off dirt bikes, climbing trees, falling off hills, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Did all that stuff. Martial arts. Uh, so, you know, I kind of know how to fall and take a punch here and there and stuff. But I'm not sure. And driven fast cars, really, really fast cars on racetracks. But I'm not sure I would stuff myself in a cannon where I would uh, basically be a human cannonball. The thing is, is that they shoot them out, and I'm not sure how many, a couple hundred yards, maybe, 100 yards, 150, 200 yards, something like that, and then you got to fly in this little net. Um, that's kind of, I'm not so sure about that. Um, but, you know, it's it's all calibrated, and, it, and, it, and, and they rarely ever had any incidents, you know, but you had two people in there. So the, 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 I'm not going to reveal the secret, but basically there's two plungers in there. And they shoot off, and then there's this little explosion. But they make a show out of it, okay, you know, because it's a show. Like circuses. Circuses are a show, you know, kind of like. And, um, and, and, and it's all entertainment. And uh, it's kind of like a magician. A magician is, you know, it's sleight of the hand. It's, uh, it's uh, optic uh, illusion, I guess that's the word for it, you know, perceived illusion, perceived whatever the heck you saw. But anyway, so, uh, but this is kind of an interesting vehicle. It's a 1940-41 white Semi, okay, that's the manufacturer. White made trucks back in the day, you know, just like, God, I can't even think. My mind just, you know, you know, this is the bad thing when you get when you get when you get older and you, your mind just starts slipping, slipping, and sli- Mac, Mac, that was the one that was well known back in the day, and uh, Mac trucks. Uh, you had uh, Diamond Rio, you had uh, um, Freightliner. Um, obviously, Ford made trucks, uh, GMC made trucks. You know, everybody made trucks back in the day. Uh, International was around back in those days. But this is a white, okay? And uh, so it's interesting. And it, the thing that was amazing is the family resided in Tampa, basically off Swan in the Hyde Park area. And one of the buildings is still there uh, where this equipment, where, this, where these truck, trucks were made. And the thing that amazed me was that all the equipment, the welding equipment, some of the original welding equipment. I'm talking to, not talking about the stuff that was put together in the 60s and 70s, but I'm talking the 30s, 40s stuff. Okay, and all the the entire pulley system of all the the levers and and equipment, and machinery, and presses, and and shears, and all this stuff that operated this stuff. I mean, if you go back and look at some turn of the century industrial uh, equipment, you see it's all run by pulleys and bu- belts and pulleys and motors and and all that kind of stuff, mostly electric motors, and. Uh, that's all intact in this particular building. The building's about mm, just under 2,000 square feet. It's probably about 16 feet high. It's solid block, a brick, actually. 
And uh, it's kind of like a story and a half. But that particular truck was in there, so I had a chance to check it out, and it's pretty amazing. Now, I'm going to write the story on it, um, the narrative, and uh, right now, currently, that truck is on display at a circus museum in Gibsonton, which is where I'm going to go take a look at it. So I will put some pictures and some information on that vehicle on my Facebook page here shortly. But I think right now, I think we're getting ready to get our guests on the phone, so Bobby's going to fire. And if it makes it any better, Alan called and said it's only 100, 150 feet out of the can- cannon, so you know, just in well, case it's comforting. Well, I don't know, but, 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 but some of the people shot over Ferris wheels and a whole slew of other rolling stock, so I'm not sure. I mean, what the capability of? I'm sure they could preset that thing, but I on an average, well, yeah, so. obviously in a circus, you know, because you have a circuit tent and it's only so big, so some circumference-wise, correct. So they can't. So 150 feet. Alan, Alan, you stand correct. I mean, you you are probably correct, and I stand corrected. And 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 we have. Oh, oh here, here we, go. we go again. I'm going to get corrected again. All right. So we got to get our guest on the line because we have to call him at a certain time, and I don't want to miss out on this opportunity. So you are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Are we going to play the streak, Bobby? Here's, here is that very song. Yeah, I did. ...across the nation on the scene at the supermarket. There seems to have been some disturbance here. Pardon me, sir. Did you see what happened? Yeah, I did. I was standing over by the tomatoes, and here he comes, running through the pole beans, through the fruits and vegetables, naked as a jaybird. And I hollered over to Ethel. I said, don't look, Ethel. And it's too late. She'd already been in the scene. Here he comes. Boogie there, boogie there. There he goes. Boogie there, boogie there. And he ain't wearing no clothes. Oh, yes, they call him the street. Boogie there, boogie there. Fastest thing on two feet. Boogie there, boogie there. He's just as proud as he can be. His anatomy, he gonna give us a peek. Oh, yes, they call him the street. Boogie there, boogie there. He likes to show off his physique. If there's an audience to be found, you'll be streaking it round, inviting public critique. This is your action news reporter once again, and we're here at the gas station. Pardon me, sir, did you see what happened? Yeah, the... I was just in here getting my car checked, and he disappeared out of the traffic. He's come streaking around the grease right there. Didn't have nothing on but a smile. I looked in there, and Ethel was getting her cold drink. My heart, don't look, Ethel! It's too late. She'd already been mooned. Flashed right there in front of the shop. So. He ain't good. Look at it, look at it. He ain't good. Look at it, look at it. He's just in the mood to run in the news. Oh, yes, they call him the street. Look at it, look at it. He likes to turn the other cheek. Look at it, look at it. He's always making the news. Wearing just his tennis shoes. Guess you could call him unique. Once again, your action news reporter in the booth at the gym covering the disturbance at the basketball playoff. Pardon me, sir. Did you see what happened? Yeah, see. Hey, Tom, I was just going down there to get Ethel a snow cone. Here he come, right out of the cheap seats. Dribbling. Right down the middle of the court. Didn't have on nothing but his head. Made a hook shot and got out through the concession stand. I hollered up at Ethel. I said, don't look, Ethel! Too late. He'd already got a free shot. Grand step. Right there in front of the hole. Well, yes, they call him the street. Here comes the kid. Who's that with the thing? Echo. Is that you, Echo? He's just as proud as he can be. What do you think you're doing? He's an enemy. He's going to give us a kid. You get your toes off. Well, yes, they call him the street. 
Hello, this is the annoying Jay Leno, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Thanks, Jay. I appreciate that. It's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. I'm just so thrilled. Uh, this gentleman's legendary in the music world, legendary songwriter, legendary comedian. He's also a Country Music Hall of Fame uh, recipient and a multi-Grammy Award winner. I'm delighted to welcome to the show, really delighted to welcome to the show, Ray Stevens. Ray, how are you this evening? I'm just fantastic, but I'm not worried. So. You're not worried, okay. Yeah, I played the streak, and I think you know earlier today I told you a little bit about my little experience with that song, and I and I still I I just I just love that song. I think it's cool. Now, how does it? How do you feel when you hear that song, knowing that that was probably one of your top selling records, wasn't it? Well, yeah, it was. Uh, Nineteen seventy four, and uh, I think uh, I think it's around five million. Five million records. That's a lot. That's a lot of records. Now, '74 was really a lot. That was really hot. Okay, but your your really first big hit was "Everything Is Beautiful," and I remember that song because when I moved to Florida in '70 '71, I heard that song a lot on the radio. They played it quite a bit. So that was really your kind of like your 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 is that kind of the song? Is that the song that puts you kind of on the map, so to speak? I I don't know. I don't I don't make maps. I don't know the people who do, but. Uh... You know, I've had uh, uh, successful records since 1962. Uh-huh. In 19, 1962, I had a big hit called Ahab the Arab, which is now politically incorrect. But uh, <laughs> I, uh, wanna, I'd like to point out that during Desert Storm, when the U.S. tanks were chasing Saddam across the desert, the intercom and all those tanks was playing. Ahab the Ahab. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's cool. Well, now wait a minute. Now you have you have done quite a few politically, in my opinion, politically correct uh, songs over the years that uh, do touch on politics. Is that um, is that kind of like uh, how do those songs work out for you? I mean, I, I, what what kind of response do you get? I'm just curious. Well, you know, we've always been divided as far as our opinions on politics as a nation, and. Uh, Maybe that's good. I don't know, but uh, I think politics is is very important because it decides how we live. I mean, who we elect to office really dictates what kind of laws we're going to live under, and some of them I don't like at this present time anyway. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I've, I've made uh, political statements on records, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's uh, I a lot of people shy away from that, and maybe I should. I don't know, but I just... I think it's important to, you know, speak out uh, politically when you can. No, and I think it's great, and uh, and and keep doing it, and uh, you would be amazed at how much support you have. So, let's go back to the early days. You're from a little town in Georgia called Clarkdale, correct? Did I pronounce it right, Clarkdale? Yeah, you're one of the few guys that didn't say Clarksdale, but it is no S, Clarkdale, right? <laughs> okay. And uh, now I have to say this: my wife's born in Atlanta. She's an Atlanta Georgia girl. She's a little peach. Um, but she grew up in Florida, but she's still a peach. Anyway, and we've been married 39 years, so she's my little girl. Um, so tell us about Clarkdale and growing up and how you kind of got interested in music. Because you started out, I believe, playing piano. When, and really, you know, when you think of Georgia, um, and particularly the South in general, you know, if you're North Carolina, South Carolina, most everybody's guitar people. And I play a little guitar, too. So, and, but there are some piano people that came out of there, and you're one of them, right? Well, yeah, you know, uh, <clears throat> Georgia Georgia is uh, 
really, I mean, a lot of piano players come out of Georgia. Uh, I won't name them, but uh, my mother, when I was six years old, she wanted me to take piano lessons, and I didn't want to. I wanted to go outside and play with the guys, play baseball, you know, but uh, <clears throat> she insisted. So my dad bought an old upright piano, and uh, I started taking piano lessons when I was six years old. And uh, I'm kind of now glad that I did because uh, it turned turned into a sort of a turned into a career for me, so to speak. Well, yeah, I th- and I'd say you did pretty good at it. <laughs> so, um, what other things did you do? Did you do growing up in Georgia back in the days? Now, did you-, uh, you know the nor- normal things all kids do. Uh, <clears throat> went to school uh, in the summertime. Took my shoes off and ran around. Uh, Playing, playing baseball or whatever with the rest of the guys. And, uh, and you know, as you get older, though, going to high school, you start, you discover girls, and that's a lot of fun. So, <laughs> you know, I, I did uh, all the normal things. Were you ever into cars? Yeah, you know, I, I love cars. Uh, my first car was a 62 Mercury, and it was great. I had it shaved and lowered and... Oh. Uh, uh, you know, I had the solenoid door buttons, a uh, little button under the car uh, that you kick and the door would open. There were no door handles on the car, but uh, as you know what a solenoid uh, door opener is. Yeah, yeah. People out listening to this show should know. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> that was a custom oh, yeah. custom thing back in the day. Oh yeah, I love that. Nobody could break in except people who knew where the button was. Now, what was it? Was it a Mercury Meteor? Was it a uh, bigger Mercury Monterey? Was it a Comet? What kind of Mercury was it? I don't know. It was a used Mercury. <laughs> it was a used Mercury. <laughs> it was a two-door. It wasn't a coupe. It wasn't, it wasn't you know, really a flashy car, but uh, it's all I could afford, and I really had a great time with it. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So um, there's a couple other guys that you kind of hung out with that uh, are also well-known, successful musicians back in the day. Jerry Reed was one. Uh, yeah. Tommy Rowe was another guy. And, of course, Joe South. Yeah, well, you know, we all uh, wrote songs for Bill Lowry, who was in Atlanta. I, we, I lived in Atlanta. I moved uh, from Clarkdale when I was 10 down to Albany, Georgia, and then up to Atlanta when I was 17. And met Bill Lowry, who's a music publisher, and uh, wrote, start, started writing songs for him. And met J- Jerry Reed and Joe South and Tommy Rowe at uh, Bill's. Uh, he had a little recording studio there, and uh, we all got together and uh, had a lot of fun in that studio. Now, did you have a? Did you guys form a band too? Oh yeah, I had a. We had a little band: Jerry Reed and Joe South and me, and a sax player and a drummer. And uh, we'd go out and play all around Atlanta, you know. Now, your what was the first song you wrote? You wrote a song that kind of became somewhat successful, and you were, what, about 17 back in the day? Yeah, I was 17, I, and I wrote a song called Silver Bracelet, and it wasn't, wasn't a hit anywhere but Atlanta. Now, that was more of a doo-wop type song, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, maybe. It was a teenage ballad, you know, about a... Uh, a, a silver bracelet that the boy has his name, her name on the front, and his name on the back. You know that was going around at that time. Um, when you were in Atlanta, okay. So when you say uh, Lowry was a publisher, so for my listeners and actually my own edification, what is really the difference between a record publisher and a producer? Well, a publisher owns the songs. 
Okay. He, uh, he copyrights them and, and promotes them and gets them cut and, you know, nurses them all through the, their lifespan. Whereas the producer takes those songs, uh, he may also publish them. I don't know, but he produces the records. He gets in the studio with the artists and the musicians, and they try to make a good record. Okay, then who handles the distribution of the of the of the records and the songs? Well, yeah, the record company. They, uh, back in those days, there were uh, oh, I don't know, half dozen major record labels, and of course, they proliferated quite mightily as the record business got more uh, uh, lucrative. But uh, uh, my first record I made for Capital, and of course, they had a distribution set up, and uh, they. Distribu- distributed the records all across the uh, country and the world, for that matter. And RCA Victor was another uh, company. Uh, uh, Decca, uh, MGM. Uh, there were, you know, Warner Brothers. There were a lot of uh, labels back in those days. Mercury. Okay. Now, like Mercury was based out of, I think, Chicago, Capital out of California. So, did they have uh, uh, subsidiary locations in the South? Uh, I don't know. At that time, I don't think so. But they had guys working, uh, the label promotion guys. Uh, for instance, I went to work in 62 for Mercury as a record producer and assistant record producer, I should say, under Shelby Singleton. Mm-hmm. Shelby was, uh, started out as promotion man for Mercury, and he saw me play a show down in Atlanta one time. He was coming through town with a big bopper promoting a Chantilly Lace which was a hit back in those days. And uh, he saw me on the show that he had booked the bopper on and called me a month or so later and asked me if I want a job, and I said, sure. So I moved to Nashville and uh, worked for Mercury Records for a couple, three years. Now, you also worked for many years as a session musician. Explain to my, well, I know, but my listeners, tell uh, our listeners a little bit about what a session musician is and the responsibilities of a session musician. Well, you know, a session musician goes in, plays what the artist, uh, play, tries to play what the artist wants to hear. <clears throat> and uh, you're usually playing with the same guys over and over, so you get to know each other and you get to know how to uh, blend together. Uh, very well, and uh, it's a lot of fun. I moved to Nashville 62, met a lot of session guys, played on a lot of sessions, and uh, made my living uh, playing on record sessions at first because uh, <clears throat> I asked Shelby, I said, I'm going to be assistant A&R, right? He said, yeah. I said, what does that pay? He said, $50 a week. I said, Shelby, I can't live on 50 a week. And he said, oh, yeah, and you can play on all the sessions. <laughs> so I said, great, I'll take it. Now, if you're a, uh, as a session musician, I know these were the early days. Now, I, I, I've interviewed a lot of people that have, that were basically artists like yourself, and they started out, and, and most of the time it was rock and roll guys, and they were always getting pretty much used and abused by, you know, managers, producers, and people like that. Did, and I'm not so sure if that's something that just kind of took place overseas or out west but it doesn't sound like it really happened a lot in the south is it was there was it a different culture back then and people just had more respect for musicians and and just the way the industry worked i don't know i don't i didn't hear the story about uh, guys being used and abused but uh <clears throat> you probably know more about that than me but uh we you know we had a great time uh <clears throat> playing sessions and and playing for 
whatever needed playing, you know. Speaking of instruments now, how many besides the piano, what else do you play? That's mainly it. I used to play a little trumpet and a little clarinet and a few horns, but I, I never uh, got proficient on those instruments. I uh, uh, When synthesizers came out, I could make all those sounds with the keyboard, so I've stuck to the keyboard uh, all these years. Writing songs. Now, you've written a number of songs. Have you written, um, do, do you write primarily for yourself, or have you written for a lot of other um, um, artists as well? Well, I write primarily for me, but other artists have uh, recorded some of my songs. I wrote the theme song for the Cannonball Run, that movie, uh, Burt Reynolds movie. Oh, really? <clears throat> yeah, and uh, I uh, I was kind of proud of that, because it's a pretty, pretty neat song, but uh, it's... Uh, starts the movie off in the beginning uh you know i i just write whatever somebody wants me to so let's use that let's use that movie as an example so in order for you to come up with the with the music the theme for that what's what's the first step they come up to you and say uh um uh, mr stevens we'd like you to write a score for a movie this is what the movie's about come up with something, or do they give you any kind of hints? Um, how do- yeah, Burt Reynolds was sort of a friend of mine. He was a big friend of Jerry Reed, and of course, Jerry being my friend. Uh, I got to meet him through Jerry, and he came up one day and said, uh, here's a bunch of money. Make me a, a, a theme song for the Cannonball Run movie, and here's some footage. You can see what the movie's all about. And I said, okay. And so I took the money and watched the movie and got in the studio and made the, the recording. Interesting, interesting. Now, did that did that song, you know, like a lot of movie, um, I'm trying to think what's the word I'm looking for here, you know, a lot of uh, movie songs, theme songs, they kind of make it to, you know, mainstream radio. Did that, did that, and it was all an instrumental, correct? So did that make it to uh, mainstream radio at all? Well, it wasn't all instrumental, it was a vocal. Oh, it was? <clears throat> yeah, and there's also an instrumental, but it didn't make it to mainstream radio because, <clears throat> well, there's a lot of reasons it should have, but uh, it was sabotaged uh, by the movie producer. He didn't turn it up enough. He couldn't, you couldn't hear it well enough in the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, he, he was kind of teed off because he had a song he wanted to be the theme for the movie, and Bert overruled him and said, no, this is the one, and... Uh, so he kind of buried it in the mix, so to speak. Okay. I got a, 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 a text here from someone, one of my listeners. Were you in the movie Concrete Jungle? Concrete Jungle. Does that ring a bell? No. Yeah, it does, but I'm, I'm not sure. I, was, I don't think it was. <laughs> what, what was that movie about? I don't know. I just, uh, you know, every once in a while we get a text, because we have a lot of listeners, and, and of course I keep my phone on my counter thing here, and or my de- uh, the table here, and, and I get texts all the time. So some people say, yeah. hey, can you ask them this, ask them that. So I just, that was just uh, a yeah. question. But uh, interesting. So, by the way, since we're on a subject that, have you acted, have you, have you participated in any movies? Yeah, I made a movie uh, once, uh, I think it was 92. It, it was, a, 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 I had a, idea for a movie concept where you cut 10 songs like in an album and you string them out with a storyline and you're making instead of 10 videos you're making a movie out of 10 videos but uh you 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 
script them so that uh, they fit together and, and it makes a story. You know, and I cut a movie called Get Serious uh, back in uh, 92. What was the theme? Well, uh, I was uh, the star and uh, known for comedy recordings and a new record uh, uh, pres- record company president wanted me to get serious. <clears throat> and so uh, it's, it's all about uh, fish out of water uh, getting serious with when he had no business doing that. Okay, okay, okay. Um, you're working on uh, uh, something right now, um, something because uh, you're still writing... Um, you're still doing music, and you're still uh, sure. um, producing. So the uh, question I want to ask is the word arranging comes in. So explain to me, I know what producing is now, or uh, and I, a little bit about uh, publishing, but what does arranging mean? Is that basically kind of coordinating all the instruments together and, you know, and, and dubbing over? And uh, so Is that kind of what arranging? Uh, ar- ar- arranging is writing out the parts. Oh, writing out the parts. Yeah, you you write a score, and it's mainly for recording in the, in the uh, country and pop music field. It's mainly for the instruments that uh, don't uh, uh, play by ear very well, such as a string section or a horn section. So you have to have an arranger to write out all the parts for the strings and horns. And usually you can just give the rhythm players a chord sheet and play them a demo, and they'll know what to play. But sometimes you have to write out guitar licks that you want to, uh, in a certain spot here and there and uh, you know it's uh, it's a lot of fun okay when you when you as a, as a let's just say a well-established performer is it hard for someone and I'm going to use Glenn Campbell example and yourself so like Glenn was a sessions musician uh, in California for a while I don't know if he was in 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 Nashville or not, but so when you when, is it hard for someone that's been a session musician then goes to you know basically being a, a headliner and then do you still as a as a headliner sit in and do sessions just for like uh, you know the good old days type um, thing and because you enjoy doing it? You do it maybe at first a little bit, but after uh, if you if you have a lot of success, you don't have time to do that. Okay, and. Uh, you know, Glenn was a great session guy, and then when he made it big, he didn't have time to play sessions. I'm sure he played on his own sessions, and he might have done some sessions as favors for friends. But uh, uh, he uh, he was on <laughs> he was on the road and doing that television show most of the time. Speaking of which, you had a television show what around 1970, correct? 71, somewhere in that period. Yeah, I, I did the Andy Williams Summer Show on NBC in 1970. And how long did that last? Well, it was one summer. It was. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And and so, who were some of the guests that were on the show with you? Well, let's see. The uh, uh, the, the main people uh, were Steve Martin, uh, uh, Mama Cass, Lulu. Uh, really? Uh, you know, uh, and we'd have all kinds of folks uh, show up and perform. It was a lot of fun. We shot it in Toronto, Canada. Yeah. Really, that's interesting, Canada. Um, let me guess, because it was less expensive up there, maybe. That's it. No unions, no unions up there. Oh, I'm sure they had unions, but uh, I wasn't concerned with that. They and I didn't pick the spot, but the producers could save a lot of money, and so they went up there and shot it, and it turned out great. They have they had a great facility. Interesting. Did I have a text here? It says, "Did you ever work with Elvis?" I played on a session for Elvis one time, 
<clears throat> but I never did a show with him. And but you met him before, right? I met him. Yeah. Okay. Uh, another one is uh, Jim Burton. Burton, uh, I guess he used to work with uh, James Burton. He played with Elvis too, right? He wasn't oh, his yeah, mate. I, uh, I know James Burton, great guitar player. He used to play with Ricky Nelson and a bunch of folks. Okay. He's uh, he's one of the one of the best rock and roll guitar players alive. Um, as far as um, music that you're doing today, what are you working on? What's your what's your latest project? Well, I'm. Uh, I'm working on a, uh, an album of, of new songs that are just a little bit different than, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I've built a, a showroom in Nashville called the Cabaret, and I'm working there a lot. Uh, it's a showroom that holds 700 people, and uh, we uh, uh, have a, a beautiful room, and it's uh, <clears throat> sound and lights are second to none and it's a lot of fun to work there and it takes me off the road i don't have to travel anymore so i go there and uh, uh work and and still have a we have a 19-piece orchestra there so it's really a lot of fun well i was listening to one of the interviews and you were talking about how you kind of modeled it after uh some of the uh, theaters i think it was a desert inn in uh las vegas because you used to uh, perform out there and what you liked and you incorporated that in your uh in the Cabaret, as in Ray Stevens, um, you have this like little walkout platform or a platform out there where you sit where you can actually kind of, you know, you're, you're basically like in the audience almost. Well, it's a <clears throat> it's an extension of the main stage. It's another stage that's uh, six inches lower. Uh-huh. And it goes out, I don't know, 15 feet and across 20 feet. And it's, uh, you can put a little piano, a, grand, a little grand piano out there on it. And, uh, uh a lot of people can come out and from the orchestra and uh, have a presence on the front stage there, and uh, it makes the show a little more interesting, I think. Okay. And how often do you perform there? I uh, right now I'm doing a couple of nights, couple of nights a week. Okay. So if is is that is your cabaret? Is it uh, available to? I mean, do you have other entertainers that come in there and and perform as well, or is it just you? Well, sometimes other entertainers come in and perform. We're uh, <clears throat> we were uh, relatively new when COVID hit. Uh-huh. Then we had to close down for a couple of years because of COVID. Nobody wanted to come out and risk getting sick, and uh, I don't blame them. But we finally. <clears throat> got back open and of course COVID's still around but people are not as afraid as they used to be in the beginning so uh, yeah you know it, that uh, showroom can be used for a lot of different events okay um, your your comedy songs and you you're pretty much it seems like the last couple of decades when you google Ray Stevens and you go to YouTube and you listen to your songs um, a lot of them are comedy oriented is that the comedy-oriented type songs, are those kind of like, uh, and it, it sounds like they're kind of like real-life experience. So we played the one with Dudley uh, Do-Right at the beginning of the opening of the show because I got a big kick out of that, you know, the Mustang and the car and the, and that. And uh, so are, are, is that kind of like, uh, does that come very natural to you, writing those type of songs in, their, in, 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 in comedy farm? Yeah, I guess so. I don't, you know, I haven't thought about it, but uh, <clears throat> I write all kinds of songs in comedy uh, Seems to come easy, yeah. Did you ever do stand-up comic, comedy? Sure, sure, I do that in the show. 
Oh, you do that in the show? Okay. <laughs> and then you follow up with the song, obviously. Sure. Uh, yeah, a lot of singing and uh, talking, you know. Are there um, are there some uh, artists out there? Do you like to generally perform by yourself, or do you, or do you ever have the the urge, the inclination to perform with anybody in particular? You know, I mean, is there somebody out there that you'd like to perform with? Well, I, I've performed with a lot of people. It's a lot of fun sometimes uh, to sing duets. You know, I have a TV show that I produce for. Right now, it's on PBS. Uh huh. And it's called uh, Ray Stevens Cabaret Nashville. And uh, we have guests. We have one guest a week. On it's a thirty-minute music show, and we have one guest a week. And so I get to uh, perform with the guest every week. So it's uh, afforded me the opportunity to uh, sing with other artists. Could you name a few of the artists that you've worked with? Oh yeah, let's see. Uh, uh, <clears throat> Oh gosh, I'm, I'm, my mind's a blank. I uh, <laughs> all right. I'll tell you what. I'm gonna say back in the day. Let's go back to the '60s. Might even been the '50s. But you actually worked with Dolly Parton at one point, didn't you? I produced Dolly's first records. Really? Yeah. We uh, it, we didn't get a hit, but we had a lot of fun, and uh, they were good records. I uh, I think uh, Dolly was more country than I realized. We cut, I cut records with her that sounded like they came out of Motown. And she could cut it, but uh, uh, the record company wanted her to sing country, and so uh, they didn't sell it. But they're they're still great records. You can look them up on YouTube or someplace, I guess. Are there any other artists that you worked with back in the day that were basically, let's just use the word, you know, fledgling, beginner, neophyte uh, artists, such as Dolly, that you worked with that later became very successful? I worked with a lot of them, but I can't remember. I, you know, guys. <laughs> <laughs> the TV show. Some of the guests were uh, uh, Mickey Dolan's. One of the monkeys was on. Mickey Dolan's, really? Yeah, we had a lot of fun. And uh, who else was on? Gosh, Mo Bandy was on. Uh, uh, God. I. My uh, my memory is not what it used to be. Oh, that's okay. Don't feel bad. I'm 65. I got that problem too. So I could. It's uh, yeah. It's so uh, it's it, it happens. Let me ask you this. So what does Ray Stevens do for R and R for relax and re- uh, rest and relaxation? I mean, what's like if you had besides music, besides your cabaret, and all the other stuff? What do you do uh, like in your spare time when you have some? I like to build things. I uh, I remodel houses, build houses. Oh really? I bu- I built the cabaret because I wanted to build uh, a show. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. That, that took a couple of years, but it was a lot of fun. Well, now I was listening to one interview. You were buddy buddies with uh, Chet Atkins, and you guys used to uh, buy and rehab houses back in the day, right? Well, Chet and I bought them. I rehabbed them. Oh, okay. <laughs> Chet, Chet didn't uh, want to do that, but uh, yeah, we owned a lot of houses down on Music Row. Okay, so I'm going to take it's a fair guess then a fair assumption to say that you kind of have carpentry skills a little bit, right? No, I hire people to do that. I just have ideas of what I want to, the thing to look like, and uh, tell them what I want, and they do it. You know, I'm not a carpenter. <laughs> okay. Well, now who did that song? Was that Leon Russell? If I were a carpenter, no, or somebody else did that one way back when. But he did a good version of it, a southern kind of a country version of it. Ah. Anyway, well, hey, Ray, we are up against the clock, and uh, if people want to find out more about you and visit the cabaret, how do they go about doing it? 
Well, you can dial us up on the internet. It's uh, raystevenscabaret.com. Well, that sounds good. And then uh, when can we expect one of your uh, newest, latest uh, recordings to come out and hit the uh, airwaves? Well, very soon. I've been, I've had, I caught some kind of virus and it took me out for about a month, but uh, I'm coming back now and I'm going to go in the studio and finish all these things that I've started and uh, we should have a record out, you know, maybe in about a month. Okay. Hey, do you ever go to NAM in Nashville? Ah, uh, what is NAM? National Association of Music Merchants. Mu- <laughs> National Association of Music Merchants, right. All right. Anyway, yeah, it's right downtown at the convention center. We were up there a couple of years ago, but I'll tell you what, the next time I'm in Nashville, uh, I'm going to definitely come by and, and look you up. Maybe come check out the cabaret. Well, I wish you would. Love to see you. I will do that. Ray, I want to thank you very, very, very much, wholeheartedly, for coming on the show this evening. It was a truly a true pleasure. It was a delight. Um, I mean, you know, you were just one of the guys I listened to when I grew up. So uh, all the best. Hope you feel well, and uh, look forward to meeting you in person sometime. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. Hey, I want to thank my very special guest, my new best friend, Ray Stevens, for hanging out with us here at Nostalgic Radio Cards. Don't forget to check us out every Tuesday between 7 and 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network right here in downtown Clearwater. Uh... Oh, yeah. Don't forget to follow us. Bobby, why don't you give them that social yeah, media all stuff? all that stuff. Facebook, Twitter, <laughs> YouTube, whatever I can get to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The interweb thing or whatever it is. Okay, but hey, don't forget. Tell your friends to uh, get out there and drive your cars. I want to see some of the car shows. Monterey Collector Car Week is coming up in a couple of months. No, a couple of months. Oh, geez. Month and a half. 90 some odd days away. So, we'll see some of you guys out there in California. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. What? Bring on to, to the other WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.